morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Story Sunday. My name's Wes Reith. Uh, my wife, Bree, and I helped put together these uh, special Sundays, and she wanted me to show that clip because she said Brad Pitt is in his prime. Uh, I don't really know what that means, but um, <clears throat> anyways, that's a, that's a clip from the movie Moneyball, which is an excellent movie. If you've never seen it, highly recommend. Um, and I show that this morning because I think it illustrates uh, kind of why we do this thing called Story Sunday. So if you noticed in, in that film, which depicts uh, the general manager of the Oakland A's, uh, Billy Bean, in the early 2000s, kind of coming up with a different way on how to recruit uh, baseball players. And his idea was you look at just these couple numbers and you recruit players that other teams are missing entirely. Um, and when you see here in, in, the, in this discussion is everyone around that conference table, except for him, is, is thinking of in terms of a story, right? They're thinking of a story with, with, with the baseball player. You know, when, they, when he says a name, they're thinking, oh, you know, this is what he does off the field. This is what he looks like. This is how he's gonna look in our team uniform. You know, they've got this whole narrative and this whole story around a given player, and he's just looking at one or two numbers. So it was an entirely counterintuitive, kind of counter-cultural way of thinking about how to form a team. Um, but I think it, what it speaks to, in my mind, is the power of a story, right? I think us as human beings, we're like naturally wired to, to think about people as an entire story, right? Our stories mean a lot to us. Um, they give us a window into someone's life. It's a, it's a point of vulnerability and honesty. And I think that's really how we connect to other things, right? Is through a story, not just through a couple numbers. Um, and I think what, what we just saw there really illustrates that. Um, so in essence, that's why we do Story Sundays, because it gives folks a chance to kind of share, you know, a story from their life. There's a lot of stories in our community that we never really get to hear about, and so we wanted to give a space uh, for that to happen. And so here we are at Story Sunday. Um, so we've got a couple folks that are going to share this morning, kind of giving stories from their own lives and how it connects to Storyline and the mission that we're all on uh, together. And I'm really excited to introduce uh, our first story for the morning, which will be Mike Cook. morning. It feels good to be back. I don't know if you guys, uh, if you were here last week, you, you probably heard that I was sick. And uh, it's tough to, uh, to wake up, to put everything together for a morning, wake up and be sick. And the people that were here this morning, or uh, last weekend, to do the morning, basically had to put this, this whole thing together without me, pull a major audible, and... Uh, and I got a text after the gathering from, from a friend named Bill McGrain, who told me I've been fired, which was his way of saying the morning was amazing. So uh, before I even start, I just want to have a huge round of applause for the many, many volunteers that make this happen from, from week to week. <laughs> Especially last week. <laughs> so I'm going um, to be doing a little twist on on Story Sunday and talk a little bit about a couple songs that I've written and kind of the story, stories and processes behind these songs because really songwriting and, and art making in general is, is ultimately about storytelling. Um, you know, telling stories about what it means to be a person living in the world and navigating through its experiences. And that's, you know, that's the main reason we use so many different types of art here in our gatherings. Um, not just music, but film and poetry and, and everything in between because art has a way of 
expressing things about our experience that makes us feel something with our whole being. You know, it articulates things that language would be otherwise inadequate for. Um, there's a, a great quote that I found by the artist Edward Hopper that says, if I could say it in words, there would be no reason to paint. Um, I love that because art making, it takes us beyond just a purely rational way of looking at the world and our experiences and allows us to see things and see ourselves in sort of a, a more holistic way. So as an artist myself, I'm fascinated by the fact that we as human beings even possess the ability to create at all. That we have the power to make something that wasn't there before, to make something that didn't exist before we made it. And you know, it's crazy to think of songs like, like Lean On Me or Bridge Over Troubled Waters or Landslide, these songs that just, they feel like they've existed forever. It, it seems crazy to think that there was a period where Lean On Me didn't exist, where Bridge Over Troubled Water didn't exist, you know? Um, it's, th there was a moment where Stevie Nicks made a decision, an act of her will, to sit down and explore her own life and her own experiences and end up with a song called Landslide that has made millions of people since uh, feel something very deeply about their own experience. And it's, it's such a cool, it's such a fascinating thing to me. You know, that if she had decided to go to a movie that day or gone out to play pickleball or something, uh, Stevie Nicks played pickleball, come on, right? Uh, that we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have that song, it just wouldn't exist. Um, now don't get me wrong, I can also think of a lot of songs that probably should have never existed in the first place, many of them my own, but um, the fact that each of us possesses this power is, is a uniquely human thing, and for me, what it means to be human has always been something that um, has really interested me as a writer, and you know, I've been interested in sort of exploring um, the brokenness and the messiness of people, which I know is super uplifting for church, but, um, but also exploring, you know, the beauty of our experiences within that messiness. So the song that um, I'm gonna perform is kind of about that theme. It's a song about how difficult it is for us to just stay sane under the weight of real life, and what it means to be human. The fact, that we, the fact that we have real freedom, the fact that we make real choices that have real consequences, um, that with our freedom comes massive responsibility, and all the while we're, we're living in what feels like a real tension between like a dual nature, you know, the, the part of us that is animal that will one day wither and die, and the part of us that is spiritual, that, that has the power to make things that are new. And, uh, you know, the, the, the part of us that has the power to, to turn our minds to the divine and even, you know, the fact that we can even wonder about the universe is, is a uniquely human thing. Um, or as the Old Testament puts it, the, the part of us that is created in the image of God, as I like to think about it, um, with, the, with the potential to connect with a creator, however mysterious that process is. So this song is called Birds and Bees. <clears throat> And it really, to be honest, it benefits greatly from like some really nice harmonies and some instrumentation. 
but I'm just going to sing it the way it was written in a living room because every song you've ever heard um, that's your favorite song was, was started sort of that way. It started with somebody in a room with one instrument and then it builds from there. So, uh, yeah, here we go. I need some water, but I guess this coffee's going to have to do. the lyrics. It's been a long time since I've performed this song. So count your blessings, life is beautiful, if intolerable, with two steps forward and three steps taken. 
Thank you, guys. Good morning, Storyline. It is good to be with you on this morning. I wanted to say good morning, Vietnam. I know those who are laughing are over the age of 50, so I'm sure you've seen that movie. <laughs> My name is Andrew Robinson. I serve as the Chief Executive Officer for an organization called Mosaic Christian Community Development Association. And many of you know of us because some of you have volunteered uh, at our resale store. So thank you so much for all of your hard work and volunteering service uh, at Mosaic. I truly, truly appreciate you. Uh, I think I have some uh, board members who are here as well. Uh, Gloria Brushweiler and, and Tom Austin. I, I can't see you because of the, the lights that are shining, but if you're out there, shout out to you. Uh, they make sure that I'm kept in line. And sometimes when you, you know, have these nice visions and dreams and, you know, they, they help to give you the realization like, wait a minute now, who's going to pay for all of that? So they do a great job of making sure that uh, I stay on the focus and narrow path. Uh, also, I think uh, Gabriel Ingo, who is uh, here as well, uh, she is my chief operating officer. She is an incredible, incredible leader uh, who's been a tremendous blessing to me and to our organization. Uh, she, along with her team, did an amazing job of pulling together the resale store. If you haven't been to our new resale uh, store location, it's right there on M139. I wanted, I was sitting here thinking about what story would I, would I tell, uh, and because and, I'm always, you know, this is just who I am, is embedded in me to always tell stories. Not lies, right, <laughs> but, but stories. And, and so I was thinking uh, about a couple of days ago, I said, man, you know, what story could I tell? And, and the story that always comes back to me as a good story to always tell is the story of how I came back uh, home. Many of you have heard this story. If you haven't, uh, it's good for you to hear it. And if you have, uh, it's, it's good for you to hear it again, I guess. Uh, I was raised here uh, in this community, raised in the city of Benton Harbor. My family moved from the south, from Memphis, Tennessee. And I was three years old. We moved here. And so I lived here ever since I graduated from Benton Harbor High School uh, in 95, shout out to the class of 95, I don't care where you're at, <laughs> may have some folks here. 
And uh, I was one of those when I graduated uh, from Ben Harbor High School said, I am not coming back to this region. I mean, many of us probably said the same thing. If you grew up in this region, you said, man, this region is too small. My ideas, my vision, my dream is much bigger. I want to go somewhere else. And so went off to, to undergrad at Grand Valley State University, went off to grad school at Western Michigan University. And then I took a teaching position at a local college uh, in the Detroit area. So I stayed in the Detroit area for 18 years uh, of my life, serving in higher education capacity, serving nonprofit organizations, leading nonprofit organizations. And then I thought, honestly, that God had another trajectory path for me. I thought he was leading me honestly at that point. I think it was back in the early part of 2018 to work for an organization in the city of Chicago uh, named Urban Ministries Incorporated. And Urban Ministries Incorporated is the largest African-American Christian publication company uh, in the world. CEO there, uh, we known each other for years. He said, you know what, I I'm at a place where I'm about to retire. Uh, I'm looking for my replacement. I would love for that person to be you. And so for about six months, you know, we, we talked, and I, I filled out all of their, their applications, which felt like I was filling out an application to, to, to be uh, a field agent for the CIA. It was just like a gauntlet that I felt like I had to go through. And, and, and so I thought it was a done deal. We had gotten to the point, my wife and I, uh, we had, uh, went to Chicago, we started looking for houses. Uh, we felt like, man, this is, this is done. Uh, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. And then I got a call. I got a call from the chairman of the board uh, for Mosaic CCDA, whose name is Brian Bennett. Brian called me out of the blue. Uh, Who's this 269? And he said, hey, Andrew. My name is Brian Bennett. I uh, serve as the chairman of the board for Mosaic CCDA. I got your number from our mutual friend. Uh, I think you know him, whose name is Jeff Wright. He's okay with me saying his name. I say it all the time. Uh, who is the guy that I thought I was going to replace in Chicago? And uh, got your, your number and your name and just wanted to give you a call to see if you would be interested in coming back home, because I know you're from here, to lead uh, this organization. And so, of course, I paused and said, no. <laughs> right? Because there again, I was one of those who said, right, when we graduated back in 1995, that I was never, ever coming back to live in this region even though my mom is still here, my sisters, my brother, my family, my grandma, everybody's still here. I'm like, I do not want to come back. I'll visit. I'm okay with that. But, but that's it. That's, that's the extent of it. And then my wife, of course, she was born and raised in Detroit, and so all she knew was a big city, right? And so she'll even tell me, well, they don't even have a target. So, so <laughs> hey, that's always the litmus test, right? It's a target, Walmart and target. And, and so initially I just said no. And then I said, okay, well, if anything changes, Brian, I, I have your number, I'll save it, I'll call you. He said, okay. 
I called there this mutual friend, right, who I was supposed to go and replace. He said, dude, what are you doing? I thought I was supposed to come and replace you. He said, Drew, I know and understand your heart. And I know and I truly understand you and your abilities and what you could do for this organization. And so if you decide uh, not to, to, to do it, then that's fine. There's always a place here for you. But the only thing I ask for you to do is give them a chance, hear them out, and then if you decide to, 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 to stick with the plan of coming to Chicago, that's fine. I said, well, at least you could have cued me in on this on the front end. I mean, prepared me for this. I mean, <laughs> at least I wouldn't have just told uh, Brian no. So I called Brian back and said, Brian, okay, here, here's what I'll do, Brian. You just tell me the story of Mosaic and, you know, uh, why I should be interested in coming to lead this organization. And then what I'll do is I'll pray about it. That, everyone, is how I got into trouble. Started to pray about it. The more I prayed, the more I felt in my heart that God was leading me back here. See, that's God somewhere telling somebody something to. Right? <laughs> that is God. <laughs> I started to read the book of Nehemiah, and this is when I really got into trouble because the story of Nehemiah was, was one in which Nehemiah was in a place of comfort. He was in a place of, of, of where he enjoyed his position with the king, but yet he felt a burden to go back home to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I felt the Lord was telling me at that moment that I'm calling you back home to rebuild lives in your hometown. But it's still at this point, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not you, Lord. I, I was like a Catholic priest at that point. You know, I was like, Satan, the Lord rebukes you. Because <laughs> that could not be God telling me to go back home. Then I was like, okay, Lord, if, if, if this is really you, I, I need you to convince my wife, you know she's a big city girl, that's all she knows, right? You have to make her understand the vision of me going back home. And then maybe about two weeks later after that prayer, my wife came to me and said, you know what? What's growing on me going back, uh, going to, to, to live in, in Gentile? Again, seen the movie The Exorcist, I was like, Satan, the Lord rebukes you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> nah, I didn't tell her that to her face, because I, <laughs> I made it, I made it out, of, out of that room a lot. Then I started to talk to some of the board members, started to pray even more, and I said, okay, Lord, okay. It, it, it is growing on me. But you know the obstacles that I have. I have this house here that has to sell very quickly because the board wanted me to come and, and to start in November. It's now September, so you're talking about less than two months. Lord, if it's your will, there are a whole bunch of dominoes that have to fall in order for me to move there. And the first domino was selling the house. Next thing you know, the house is. Okay, Lord, that was one domino. But, but the second domino, Lord, is we got to have a place to stay now. I mean, where are we going to stay if we, we go back? 
the next thing you know, I get a call out of the blue, unsolicited, from a couple who said, you know what, we're interested in buying, uh, uh, selling our home, uh, and it's, if it's something that you want to buy, that's fine. If not, we would like to lease it out to you, and, and you can stay there for six months to a year, and there again, if you decide to buy it, great. If not, you know, we just want to be a blessing to you. I said, Lord, that's it. <laughs> I give up. And I realized at that moment that that same call that Isaiah had, in which he said, Lord, here am I, send me. That's what I said at that moment. Lord, here am I. Send me. And it hasn't been an easy journey. Uh, my first week there, it was actually my first day. I had just gotten there 15 minutes in. My finance director came to me and said, uh, welcome, Drew. Uh, it is an honor to meet you. We are so glad that you're here. But just to let you know, payroll is this week, and I don't know how we're going to meet payroll. And I called the wife and said, hey, are the bags unpacking yet? Because we need to go back. <laughs> but God has been faithful. He's been faithful to us to, to transform uh, this organization to a place that now not only are we on solid ground, we are dreaming big. And it's because of supporters like you that now the location that many of you have volunteered in right there in M139, we are calling that now the Transformation Center. Because it is a place where individuals can come and get holistic support for their various needs. God has blessed us to have some tremendous partners in the area from Storyline and other churches, but also Whirlpool Corporation and other businesses and financial institutions who have come to the table to say, how can we work with you to change this community? And I am a living witness that if you stay faithful to God and his plan for your, uh, your life, that he will be true to you and he will bless you abundantly and help you and aid you to advance his kingdom. Thank you so much. Thanks, Darlene. <laughs> I think this is still on. Uh, my name is Bethany Darling, and wow, you really can't see like a single face. <laughs> um, my husband and uh, four kids and I have been going to Storyline um, since before uh, the pandemic. So I don't know how long that's been, like two and um, something years. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read my story um, because that just works better for me. Um, we'll stay on track that way. Um, storytelling is something I love and am always changed by. I love to hear other people's stories, what led them to now, what happened in their life to bring them to the place they are. But when it comes to sharing my own stories, I'm really bad at it, especially when I'm in the middle of one. I hate letting people see me undone. I don't like feeling weak. I balk at my own words of pain. To me, they sound like whining. Yet one of my greatest passions is making people feel safe and seen, like you can get as messy and as real as you want around me, and I'll still love and support you. I won't leave. 
I'm a birth doula and in this line of work, it's all about entering people's vulnerabilities, being with, with them in the middle, being with them in the hard. As a doula, I can really do nothing to change my clients' situations. I'm powerless in that sense, but what I provide for them is a withness, a presence that will never go away. I bear witness to their vulnerability, strength, and I walk with them into the fire they're going through until they reach the other side. So here goes entering into the ring, myself, and getting vulnerable, sharing part of my story with God, with you. God is on the bathroom floor. It was a blog post I read in the middle of a very dark time this past year. It came from the pen of a talented musician, a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer and whose husband left her within the same year. She spoke of not only the physical agony she was in, but also the internal turmoil of losing the man she loved and thought she trusted. She was stripped of everything in a moment, and there were long nights of anxiety and depression when she couldn't sleep and she'd curl up in a ball in pain on the bathroom floor and cry and cry, asking so many questions and not getting very many answers. When I read, this, when I read that this past year, it was like healing salve on a wound. I felt a fellowship of grief with this woman. Someone else had been there too. Someone else knew the strange heartache, yet intimacy of crying out on the bathroom floor of really getting honest and vulnerable before God. Like the musician I mentioned earlier who calls herself Nightbird, I too had asked of God the questions that could not be answered and was left in the room. What was left in the room were feelings, the real honest feelings of sorrow and lament and a kind of mystery. I remember telling a friend that God was so silent during this time. I was desperate for him to answer me Tell me why. Tell me how. Tell me the answer to all the big questions. And he never did. Yet during this time of mostly silence, his presence was so very real. He felt like a giant blue whale floating in the water beside me, this massive presence that would never leave. His withness as real as the air I breathed. I was asking the questions that couldn't be answered, wanting to know the end of the deep mysteries that only heaven can reveal. In these moments of intense vulnerability, I learned that God can handle my audacious honesty. I can tell him and he won't walk away. He will stay. The musician who calls herself Nightbird wrote the blog and wrote the blog post I mentioned earlier, writes, I have called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us, and I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in the hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, 
laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. During the last couple years of finding God in the hard places, finding him in the mystery, I was reading through the story of Lazarus. Jesus had been called upon to come see his friend Lazarus, who was very sick, near death. Lazarus lived in a town Jesus visited often and would go when he needed to recoup, rest, be with the people he knew well. The Bible records that when Jesus received the message, he didn't go right away. It is clear that Jesus loved his friend and that he cared about his friend's sisters. He knew what would happen to his sick friend Lazarus when he waited to go see him. Lazarus would die. As Jesus approached Lazarus' home and saw all his family and friends mourning, Jesus cried. He didn't just cry. He wept. Jesus, who knew he had the power to heal sickness, to raise his friend from the dead, wept when he saw the mourners and approached the scene of death. There's a word in the original language of the Bible that describes Jesus' disposition as he approached the scene of grief and death. The Bible says that when Jesus saw Lazarus' sister's weeping and all the others with her, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. The word for troubled in the original language, rimamai, is a word that means to be indignant. It is a military term that means to stand in opposition to, to groan against. Jesus had a feeling about death, about sadness, about this thing that came as a result of the fall. And isn't that our reaction to every form of the fall we see? and experience in our world and in our own lives when we see what it tries to steal. Haven't you ever wanted to bury your face in a pillow and scream? Do you too feel the groan of your spirit at suffering and pain? This is a groan of the spirit of our Lord. He is not neutral to our suffering. When things fall apart, when his good creation experiences the effects of the fall, his heart feels it. He feels it so much more than even ours. This is his world, the world he made and loved. Knowing Jesus feels with us, knowing he is not indifferent to our suffering or the world changes everything. It means I can fellowship with him here, in my sadness, in the middle of my story. It means I'm not alone in my grief. It means that when everything in me in my insides opposes the death that I'm witnessing, my grief actually reflects and finds its source in his heart. I recently went through a book on contemplative practice. A question was posed at the beginning of the book to get the reader to identify God's work in their life. When was the last time you knew God's presence? The last time you experienced him in a very real way? What surrounded that instance? What was happening at the time? The memory that came to mind for me surprised me. It was after a long week with one of my kids. She had been struggling with an eating disorder for several years, as well as anxiety and depression. And my husband and I genuinely thought we might lose her. Our house had become a rehab facility with 24-hour care. And the only thing that was keeping her from being hospitalized was the fact that the hospitals did not have proper staffing. And her doctor knew she wouldn't get the care she needed being in such a high-risk category. Without going into all of the details, I will just say I felt like my heart was in shreds most days. 
Every waking moment was a fight, and we were barely surviving. I'd had an argument with my daughter, and we were heading out the door late to a party. I told the kids to go ahead of me and get in the car, and went back into the house and locked the door. Like a crazed animal, I looked for a place to hide. I was going to explode. I needed to find somewhere dark, somewhere I could close myself in. I had to let out what was pent up inside or I felt I was going to burst. I found a closet and went to the far corner of it, buried my head between the cold walls, pressing my forehead against the hard surface and let all of my tears out, squeezing my fists. Like a toddler, I let myself melt down completely and say all the things I had been holding on to, holding in. I told God, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. I said it for a solid five minutes. I said it until I was certain he had heard me, and I said it like a desperate baby. I told him, you can't let her die. Don't let her die. Don't let her die. We had lost a family member to suicide just over a year before, and I knew that just couldn't happen to my daughter. In my heart, I doubted I could survive it if it did. I repeated the refrains over and over until my heart had wrung itself out, my body in a heap on the floor, now tingling with exhaustion. And in this moment of brutal honesty and ugliness, I felt a quiet come over me a stillness as if something in the atmosphere had shifted and something was happening. I would call it the Holy Spirit. Suddenly the intense, all-surrounding, safe presence of God surrounded me, as if the warmth of his breath filled the closet. His kind heart was right next to me, burning like fire. I felt my hands unclench and open. In my mind, I thought the word, surrender. Curious to think about a moment of such ugliness, such brutal honesty, and consider that this was the moment that came to mind when I was answering the question, when did you last experience the presence of God? When I consider what it was in the events leading up to my meltdown that amplified this moment and infused it with God, it is that this memory encapsulates everything that gospel of grace is. Jesus took on flesh and came to us. There was no staircase we could ascend to get ourselves to him. He came down. He descended into our mess. He has made the moves. His heart of love started the whole story in the very beginning. In my moment of grace, I was completely emptied of anything that I could bring or offer God in the moment. I only had my need, my big feelings, my desperation, my honesty. In a moment when my hands were utterly empty, this was my moment of knowing his presence. When I look back at the last few years, I feel like I've gone backward. But I really, if I really look hard, I can see that I've gone back in a way that's actually moving me forward. My grandma wrote a note and put it on her fridge that said, we must stoop so that we are no taller than children to get in. It's a note that's talking about heaven. To enter heaven, we must become like a child, Jesus said. There was a time when I worried myself with right theology. Being on the right side of a theological debate felt like it was of the utmost importance. I remember hearing my grandpa pray during this time, like he does every single morning. 
with my grandma over breakfast. He prays for each family member. He thanks God. He cries. His simple words are often repeated lines, the same refrains of asking and thanking over and over again. Hearing him pray was like hearing a child pray, and I remember during this time looking down on him for that. Now I understand something totally different about God's heart. Sometimes you have to go back to go forward. He doesn't care about our big words or correctness. He doesn't care about our big brains and understanding. He wants us, not a manufactured religious model that's pretending. He's looking for a humble heart, one who trusts him, who knows he loves them, who doesn't need all their questions answered before they'll come to him. What is similar about my grandpa and my kids when they were little is the simplicity of their faith. We must stoop so that we are no taller than children to get in. The longer I live, the fewer things I know that I know. I'm comfortable with mystery, my finiteness and limited brain. I've let go of so many things I used to hold to, but I've held tighter to the few things I do know. God's love for me displayed in Jesus is more precious more worth holding tightly than ever. In the end, it's really all I have. It's where God's shown he'll fight for me. He'll enter my mess. He'll go to the end to bring me back home. Sometimes we look at our broken world or our own internal brokenness and we think God's left. But he hasn't gone anywhere. He is right here. God is on the bathroom floor. I'll end with another reading from Nightbird. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive to the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answer to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? And that's the question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but will repeat until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, Sometimes I go lay in the, in the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there, even now. I have heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. If you can't see him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. Thanks. I'm going to close us out with a song um, that uh, 
I promise is more uplifting than the first one I did. Um, but it's, it's uh, a song about my lovely wife, Dylan, and we're really running short on time, so I just want to assure you that I could go on for 15 or 20 minutes easy talking about how beautiful and smart and charming she is, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to quickly say that uh, this is a song that I wrote for her when I proposed because I wanted to make it really, really hard for her to say no. And then uh, Savannah Lentz performed it at our wedding, and that's called Don't Let Go. Before we fell, pushing like a stone uphill, lonely as a cloud, staring at the daffodils. Oh, what can I say? Didn't mean to care this much. You cut me off my guard, enough for me to fall in love. One line in Mike's earlier song this morning that said something like, you know, we're all birds and bees just trying to get our spirits to react. And I, that really stuck with me this morning listening to the stories because I feel like that type of storytelling and that vulnerability is what gets our spirits to react and gets us to that place. Um, so if, you, if something resonated with you this morning, I encourage you to find uh, one of those speakers in the lobby and just tell them that I, I felt that too. Um, so thanks for being here. Have a great week. Go in peace, friends. Amen.